Welcome to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I'm Daryl Pullis, and today I'm speaking to Elizabeth Millard, who is an author, a farmer, and an herbalist. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. How did you get into gardening? Have you always been a gardener? I haven't. You know, I was completely the the little suburban girl. Um, we happened to have some rhubarb growing from probably three generations back on the side of the house, and that was about all my family ever grew. <laughs> I was totally that kid that thought that, you know, vegetables grew in cans. Um, oh, my. Yeah, it was, it was pretty sad. But um, I just started to, when I was in my 20s, I started to eat healthier. Um, I didn't see ketchup as a vegetable anymore. And <laughs> um, that kind of led me to cooking. And, you know, as anybody that kind of gets into cooking realizes, it's all about the ingredients and flavor. And I just kept getting blown away by these amazing flavors that came from fresh cilantro or fresh basil and that really led me to think about where this all came from so I went from thinking of vegetables in cans to vegetables grew at farmers markets and um, then I started to really talk to the farmers that were there and um, yeah then I I think my first little effort was a tiny window box um, and once I realized that I I didn't have to kill everything that I grew. <laughs> it just kind of got better from there. And then fortunately, um, I went on a Habitat for Humanity trip to Africa, and I met my um, future partner, Carla, and she is a amazing gardener and farmer. So any kind of gaps I had in my knowledge all instantly got filled. And um, I like to joke that I kind of dated my way into farming, but I <laughs> so I ate my way into gardening and I dated my way into farming. Wow! Now, what part of Africa were you in for habitat? We were in Zambia, gorgeous. Ah, I always wanted to go to Africa, a couple of places in Africa, and I've you got go. the you daughter of a friend of mine um, taught there for um, a year. And just returned a year ago, and I just, her stories are fascinating. Yeah, you know, the thing that kind of transferred over for us, I mean, we both agreed that we learned so much more and got so much more from that trip than the people who got the house (laughs) from us. But um, was that we were in this tiny village um, called Katete, and there were maybe 100 people there, and it was such a, a self-sustaining, um, this completely autonomous kind of village where they raised their own food, they, um, you know, had their own water coming from the well, and they they rarely went outside of that village. And it was fantastic to kind of see the way that a closed system like that can operate. And the most interesting part to me was, they didn't know what to do when we had trash because they don't make trash. I mean, they didn't have any garbage bags. They had no, like, garbage pickup. We had to <laughs> – but we're Americans, so we naturally <laughs> somehow made garbage wherever we went, you know, that we had, like, wrappers on things and other things like that. And it's just something about that experience of being able to reuse everything, absolutely everything, um, was really life-changing. That's fascinating. And did yeah. you eat 
native food there, or did you mostly have your own in the wrappers? We um, we brought some things in because we didn't want to have the village have to completely support us. We were a group of mm-hmm. about 15 women. Um, but uh, for the most part, they prepared stuff for us. They um, We usually knew what we were going to eat based on what they were leading away. <laughs> so we knew when we were going to have goat that night, sorry goats, um, or the kids would come out and just catch some chickens, and we knew we'd have chicken. And... So it was, uh, uh, I mean, talk about fresh, you know. So they had more of a meat-based diet rather than a plant-based diet? Um, I think they were eating more meat because of us. Um, Uh And, you know, I think that for them, you know, a goat would be a very special occasion. So that was our last night there. And um, But the women had gardens, and they had um, a lot of different systems in terms of of growing vegetables, and it was just fantastic to see. They spent all day working that way. I would love to go and see that and see what they eat and how they prepare it. And as you say, reusing everything so that there's no waste. I assume that there was a little bit of vegetable waste that probably went back into the garden. Is that right? Well, it went to the chickens. Ah, Okay. So, (laughs) completely nothing went to waste. I mean, we we even we had some boxes that um, because we brought air mattresses and they were in boxes, and so we we were going to break down the boxes until the kids made them all into musical instruments. I mean, they they made this drum set out of all of the boxes that we brought. (laughs) How wonderful! I know it was amazing. They're very talented kids too. I read of a trash heap in some South or Central American country, I've forgotten which now, where the kids went in and found appropriate size boxes and containers and made instruments out of that. I, every single kid there was so unbelievably musically talented. It, I couldn't believe it. And it, it almost seemed innate. Because they don't, I mean, there's no electricity, they have nothing to do at night. Um, so that's what they do. They just play music every single night. Sure. And in a close, close-knit close community like that, there's probably a lot of interrelationships. And the gene for music is very, very strong. Yeah. My dad's side of the family has fantastic voices, and several of the, of the members of the family are musicians either by um, by vocation, like my sister is an organist and taught at VCU for a number of years, or they do it as an avocation just because they love it. Mm-hmm. When that family gets together, when we've had family reunions and everybody's singing a cappella, it's just, it's like, it, it brings chills to you. <laughs> yeah, it's that's, community, you know. It's, yeah, it that's is. That's what community feels like. I And... In the village that you were in, was a lot of the knowledge passed down through song and story? Um, I think it it was through song. I mean, I we didn't speak that language, so it, it was hard to know what they were singing about. But um, it you could definitely see that um, the knowledge was passed down through work. Um, the kids were the kids went to school, but um, they they did everything too. They did everything the adults did. You know, they tended the garden and they cooked and they ran the oxen and um, 
So it's just a really true kind of farm community. That's a great way to pass skills down from one to another. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got to talk some gardening with people maybe that yeah. haven't done that. It's like so, U.S. gardening. <laughs> I, I thought I'd like to start with your first book, um, Indoor Kitchen Gardening, Turn Your Home into a Year-Round Vegetable Garden, Microgreens, Sprouts, Herbs, Tomatoes. Mushrooms, tomatoes, peppers, and more. <laughs> That's a long yeah. title, but it. I know. I, I know. <laughs> but you can grow a lot of stuff in indoors. And the the book was featured in the New York Times and was one of the best gardening books of 2014 um, by the and the Chicago Tribune list. Now I yes. read a funny story about in your Times article about how you got started with microgreens. Can you tell our listeners? <laughs> sure. Um, well, we, uh, Carl and I began growing indoors because we started a farm. Um, we did start a community-supported agriculture farm called Bossy Acres. And so we, but we lived in, in the city in South Minneapolis. And so we had to start a lot of plants inside, and eventually we got some some lovely greenhouse space, but we had to drive back and forth from the city to the greenhouse space. And um, so, you know, after a while doing that, you get kind of tired <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, putting in a lot of time. And, and I have a little Volkswagen Beetle convertible, um, which I bought long before. I knew I was going to be a gardener or farmer, but it's been... So it's full of straw and twine and, you know, tools. And um, anyway, so it's our main form of transport at the time. And because the the greenhouse space was shared, we had to shuttle our seeds back and forth in big rubber bins. And so there I am walking this big rubber bin out to my car. And um, I tripped because I'm a little clumsy. And... (laughs) <laughs> what happened was the seeds just went flying everywhere inside the car, which was already filthy and full of mud. And I just thought, well, forget it. You know, I'll just clean it up next year or whatever. <laughs> next time I clean out my car. And I managed to get them together as best I could. And then I went home, and, and we didn't use the car for a couple of days. And um, when I came back, what I realized was I mean, I just sat in the driver's seat, and I look over, and there on the driver's or the passenger side carpet is this beautiful growing garden of microgreens. <laughs> they were all, almost like a couple inches tall. It was like I was seeing kind of some, like, Lilliputian landscape or something, like I was Gulliver, you know. And um, what happened was the conditions in the car were perfect because – it had the air because the top had been down on my way home, and so it had the airflow. It had the that nice warmth that gets in a car and kind of spring. And then, you know, there was all the mud, so it already had moisture, and and our muddy boots were in there, and so it it just became the perfect growing conditions for those little microgreens, which sadly we did not eat because I don't know what chemicals are in carpet, but it sure looked pretty. Oh, they can be absolutely gorgeous. Now, oh, yeah. um, many of our listeners are only familiar with microgreens um, through, you know, restaurant salads, mm-hmm. or maybe they might find them in farmer's markets or in a very, very few 
grocery stores. But I guess they're a little bit more now that are being grown hydroponically that you see in some of the stores. But they're really easy to do by yourself, aren't they? Oh, they're extremely simple. Um, you know, if I can grow them on the, the format of a car, <laughs> then you, you can certainly do it if you actually want to do it, if, if you intend to. And we've grown... I don't even know how thousands and thousands of trays at this point of, of microgreens because they were really one of the main things that we were selling at the farmer's market for a little while. Okay. We're going to have to take a little break right, pretty soon, but when we come back, I'd like to talk to you about um, what's a good way to get started and what some of the easiest, most simple things to do that you can do in your kitchen. And it doesn't have to be a fancy setup or anything like that, does it? No, not at all. Very good. Easy. So everybody that wants to grow something and you think you can't because you don't have any space, listen up, and we'll be right back after this. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Right before the break, we were talking about microgreens and how my guest, Elizabeth Millard, got started growing greens and having them in, in, her, in her Volkswagen. So if anybody can grow a crop of microgreens in a Volkswagen, I'm sure the rest of you folks can, can do it in, in the comfort of your kitchen. So what's good for people to start with, Elizabeth? You know, I always advise that people start with what they like. Um, you know, the the thing is nearly any plant can be a microgreen. Microgreens aren't their own special world. They aren't uh, the precious little princesses or anything. They're just a, a certain stage of growth of any plant. So if you have older seeds that are, you know, beets or carrots or any herbs, um, you can just grow them in a very minimal amount of soil on a flat, um, or, you know, we've even grown them on paper towels before, just damp paper towels. And then you harvest them um, at about, like, one to two inches of growth. So 
They're super flavor-packed, and that's one of the best reasons, and also why you see them on a, as a kind of a garnish in a lot of restaurants. But if somebody thinks, I mean, so you're looking at an entire garden's worth of, of options, but for us, what we did was to grow what we love the most, which is um, like cilantro and basil and uh, some carrot microgreens and beets. Oh, my gosh, beets are my favorite microgreens just because I love beets, but also they're this super electric red. Um, if you do a, a red flavor beet, then um, and they're they're beautiful, and the flavor is really concentrated. So I always joke that it's kind of like um, the girl with the gum in Willy Wonka, you know, Violet, where she takes this one piece of gum, you know, and she has, like, this entire Thanksgiving dinner that she can taste. And I'm like, Violet, you know. Um, but that's what it feels like. Like, you take this tiny little beet, and it's a sliver, really. And you chew it, and you feel like there's a whole beet that you're eating. And it's this kind of miracle. <laughs> but um, I've, never tried, I've never tried growing them like that. Of course, I eat the thinnings when I'm growing them out in the garden because, you know, beets always come up since it's a compound seed. Yeah, right, you have to thin them. Yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, and, and they do. They are really good that way. Now, yeah, tell but, people but, what the difference is between microgreens and sprouts because a lot of people um, are probably familiar with sprouts, too, from their salad bar. Yeah. Yeah, so sprouts are grown in water, um, you know, so you would sprout, you know, like alfalfa seeds or something like that. And so in a way, sprouts are a form of microgreen, but it's a, it's a little bit of an arbitrary distinction. But microgreens are most often grown in, in soil. So um, they're very similar, but there is a way to kind of differentiate them. You can't, you can't really sprout. You can't put beet seeds in water and then have them sprout in the same way that sprouts do. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of, <laughs> besides alfalfa, of course we grew mung beans and um, mm -hmm. sunflower sprouts. Yeah. We had a lot of water. success with sunflower um, sprouts in soil because you can grow them really dense. And the other mm -hmm. thing that I like about microgreens, um, not having them in water, is that they don't get as uh, they're not as prone to the kind of bacteria that might come with sprouting. Mm -hmm. um, I myself am a bit of a of a careless gardener in terms of I love things that that you can have with benign neglect. I always say so. Um, if I can leave something alone and it can live without me, then that's great. <laughs> I mean, at least for just a little while, you know. But for me, sprouts seem to be a little fussier, and so I don't, I don't do them as much. I tend to do it as microgreens instead. Yeah, I'm a little concerned with sprouts too, uh, because there've been some, so many contamination problems, right. and I know that most of that is, you know, the way they do it commercially, and then they, they don't get rinsed off often enough once they're in the store, and and they sit a little too long, and bacteria grow, but. Mm -hmm. Also, a few years back, they found that the almost the entire supply of alfalfa seed for sprouting was contaminated itself. Oh, all right. Well, you're behind the eight ball then. You can't even, nothing you can yeah. do would be helpful. That was just a little too scary for me. 
And yeah. so now I, I don't eat raw sprouts anymore. I'll, I'll cook, throw them in something and cook them real briefly, like in mm-hmm. a stir fry. But I, I just don't feel comfortable with them anymore. So, yeah, you should switch to microgreens. And, You'll be a microgreen believer. <laughs> are you still growing? Now that you're on a farm, are you, you're still growing microgreens? Yeah, we do. You know, because it's so easy. What what we can do is um, we'll take any container, really, but usually the ones that work the best are we'll buy some blueberries, for example, at the store, and then they're in that plastic container that has the little holes in it to keep it uh-huh. fresh, and then we'll eat all the blueberries. And then um, we'll just put maybe like a half an inch of soil in there and then sprinkle some seeds on top. And um, you don't even need to cover the seeds either. They'll they'll do fine. It's actually better if you don't. It's easier to harvest them that way. And then we just set them on the other side of our of our sink where the light is, where the window is on the south side. And then every once in a while when I'm washing the dishes, I'll just give them a spritz. And then, you know, after like a week or two weeks, depending on what variety you're dealing with, then um, we harvest them. It's really, it's pretty easy. It's easier than herbs, even. Now, what kind of soil mix that you, do you use that doesn't fall out of little holes in the container? Um, we put some vermiculite in the bottom. Um, so a little vermiculite, a little, little compost. Um, you know, we have our own compost here because we, we live on a farm. So, um, yeah, just really whatever is available, any kind of... You know, if we have some leftover potting soil mix that we used for seed starting, then we might throw that in there. But, you know, like I've said, we, um, you know that trick to find out if seeds are viable where you put them on a wet paper towel? Mm -hmm. You can do the same thing to actually grow the microgreens. So just put a bunch on a wet paper towel. I actually saw this really fun site, I think it was from Japan, where they wanted to do something fun with their kids, so they... Uh, took a bunch of bottle caps and put soil in that and put microgreen seeds, and they created this adorable little, I mean, just (laughs) not great for harvesting, but this adorable little microgreen garden where there were maybe like three or four little plants in each (laughs) bottle cap. It was like the little fairy garden, you know. It was adorable. So So you can, they can grow in pretty much anything in very minimal soil, which is nice. And you mentioned that if they look dry, we water them. So do you use a little spray bottle like we used to use for, and this is dating me, um, for, for sprinkling or for maybe even for, for modern people for uh, window washing or something like that for a bottle of water? Yeah, exactly. So anything that's, you know, a light mist, I'll do it first. And then um, when the microgreens start to grow a little bit bigger, um, if we were growing them commercially, which we did, it's a lot easier to just give them an overhead water. But if we're growing them personally, it's it's much more effective to just water the base, mm-hmm. so just to water the soil, because then that way um, you don't have the moisture issues that can come in. And, and when you're ready to harvest, they won't be wet. Now, you mentioned moisture a couple of times, and I know that excessive moisture is particularly a problem down here in the south because except for a couple of weeks in the wintertime, we try desperately to get the humidity down in our homes. But I I grew up in the Midwest, and I guess we should 
tell people that you're out in the wilds of Minnesota someplace. I right? am in northern Minnesota. Uh, and I remember how cold it was there and how dry the air got um, during the winter time with the heat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so no I would problem. naturally have more moisture um but one thing that would probably work better for you is to just make sure that you have a little bit more air circulation which does you know which will kind of dry it out a little bit more um and i use air circulation just as a way to strengthen the plants Sure. I do that with my seedlings, um, you know, tomatoes and peppers and things like that. I always keep a little fan on. I grow them under lights, and I keep the fan on. And when I do have them in the greenhouse, I usually have a circulating fan in there, too. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Brilliant. Now, you said you put your um, little trays of microgreens on the back of the sink near a window. What if people Mm -hmm. are living in a... Well, those modern apartments that don't have windows over the kitchen sink or or maybe, they, you know, they face onto a, a, a small alley or immediately to another building. How might they compensate for that? You know, often those little under-the-counter lights um, are fine because all you need is just a bit of light, and usually those are somewhere on the UV spectrum. And so... Um, you know, one thing that we did when we were growing microgreens in the city when we didn't want to schlep out to the greenhouse was to, we bought some shop lights, which mm-hmm. were just, you know, T8s or whatever over at Home Depot. And then um, we installed them all in the basement on racks, and then we put the, the microgreens under that, and it was fine. Um I don't, I don't know what people walking by our house thought <laughs> because there's, you know, a lot of lights, a lot of green, but um, <laughs> nobody called the cops on us, so I guess it was fine. <laughs> I, I joke that I always leave the – I do my seed starting in the utility room, which is, we used to be half of a garage, and I always leave the curtains open in there, and I joke, that, you know, that it's so that the – you know, police, if they look in, they can see that it's only tomato yeah. plants and not exactly. something more serious. But um, I understand that a lot of the, the people that are growing uh, weed uh, use super high-powered lights. But you really don't need those for growing greens, do you? Or starting transplants, no. for that matter. No, not at all. I mean, whatever you would use for starting transplants, you can you can use. it. They really need... Um, just as long as you have that kind of the UV spectrum, but that's the same as shop lights. I mean, I I have put plants, you know, wherever you can grow plants, you can you can basically grow edible plants. Yeah, I use fluorescent shop lights too. Um, mm-hmm. I started with them, and the cool white ones are all you need if you're growing greens. You don't need to spend extra money for the broad spectrum, and. Um, I remember back when I would grow African violets, the recommendation was one cool white for the the leaves and one warm white to encourage flowering. But uh-huh. you don't even need to have that with the microgreens, do you? No, no, not at all. Because they, you know, if they were going to get to a larger um, stage of growth, then maybe you would want to play around with the, the lighting a little bit more, play around with all these other factors. But you, um, oops, sorry. But you 
I mean, you're really only going to grow them for a couple weeks, and you're going to harvest them when they're still quite small. So you just need them to get to that point. Okay. We're going to have to take another break right now, but when we come back, I'd like to talk to you some more about lights and sprouts, microgreens, and, and some other fun stuff you grow, like mushrooms. We'll be right back after this. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. This week I'm talking to Elizabeth Millard, who is the author of a couple of books on gardening. One is the indoor kitchen garden, um, indoor kitchen gardening, turn your home into a year-round vegetable garden for microgreens, sprouts, herbs, mushrooms, tomatoes, peppers, and more. And then she's got another book, too, which we will talk about in the last segment. But tell me about um, what else you might grow. Tell me about, uh, can, can you really grow tomatoes indoors and have them taste like anything? <laughs> you can. I have a friend that's very obsessed with it, and um, she goes to great lengths to be able to grow tomatoes indoors. Um, I did it just for fun, and, you know, what I tell people is, it, like anything that you're going to grow indoors, what you should do is think about you, the variety that you're mm-hmm. that you're going to pick. Um, a lot of things that, that grow best indoors are smaller, like, for example, the the... You can grow carrots inside if you choose, like, the Parisian carrots that are, like, those small, almost radish size carrots. So um, with tomatoes, I had a lot of success with, with some cherry tomatoes. Um, but when I try to grow, like, the big, luscious beefsteak tomatoes, not so much. Sure. So, well, a big, um, big tomato needs a big plant, generally. Yeah, um, and it needs a, a big amount of sun, and it needs a big... Mm-hmm. Uh, it needs a lot of. It loves its outdoor time. <laughs> yes, say that. Yes, it does. I'll have to send you some information on the dwarf tomato project, or some links to the shows that I've done for big tomatoes on small plants. But I think they would still need um, more light than the average home could provide, except with you know high high intensity bulbs. But I had really, I had pretty good luck with a little variety called red robin. It's maybe oh okay. 
um, six or eight inches tall and wide, not more than that, and it grew fine under lights. Um, I was on the windowsill and doing fine until it got to be like November, December, in mm. January when the light levels were not only um, low, but the time of the length of day was so short. Mm-hmm. But when I, you know, when I did that, I just popped them. When that, that happened, when it got too dark and dim, I just popped them under the fluorescence, and they were perfectly happy there. Yeah, and I think that you know. Tomatoes can be fussy inside and not fussy at all outside. So you just, mm-hmm. as a, you have to choose your adventure, you know, as a gardener. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you think, I really want to grow tomatoes inside, well, go for it, you know, absolutely do it. Um, one of the things that somebody can grow, even if they don't have any light at all, other than a light bulb to keep you from twitching, um, tripping over things, is mm-hmm. mushrooms. Can you tell us a little bit about growing the mushrooms? Yeah, mushrooms are, are they're obviously, they're super satisfying to grow inside, and they're, you know, what I said earlier about benign neglect absolutely applies to mushrooms. And, you know, much like many things um, that you grow inside, you, you want to mimic the... Um, kind of natural environment or the kind of outdoor experience that a plant is going to have. So, yeah, mushrooms grow best, like you said, in a, a darker space. You want to keep those very moist. Um, you know, you would probably have a fantastic time down there um, growing mushrooms. We have problems up here in the dry Midwest, for sure, but um, there's a lot of really fun tabletop mushrooms. You can you can get a, like a hardwood block that's like a little tabletop shiitake mushroom kit. You can, you know, grow them out of coffee grounds. There's just a lot of really interesting ways that you can that you can do mushrooms inside. Um, and there's a lot of good resources too where you can get your spawn from and um, you know, one thing that we really liked to do was to grow wine caps, which are a smaller mushroom, and um, but they grow they grow really well in straw or sawdust or um, things like that. So I actually spoke to a, a elementary school teacher who made it a class project that they had an old terrarium. She didn't want to get another fish or hamster that was going to perish, you know, at the hands of her students. Mm-hmm. So she just filled it with sawdust. She put some wine cap spawn in there and, um, you know, threw a little cover over it, had the kids mist it every day, and it, it grew great. Um, so that's, it's a really fun project for kids to do, and and um, you get mushrooms out of it, which is the best part. And I bet the kids might even eat the mushrooms if they grew them. I know a lot of kids yeah. don't like mushrooms very much. We, you know, we've done a lot of classes with kids on the farm and um, in schools. That was, you know, one of the things that we're really passionate about is is kids and food. And um, sure. what we've found is kids will eat what they are mm-hmm. curious about um, and especially what they grow. So, you know, we've brought microgreens in and pea shoots, and we've had kids that hate peas absolutely hate peas, and I look over, and they look like goats, just absolutely (laughs) munching. I mean, at one point, this teacher almost stopped this little boy who he had, he had pea shoots coming off both sides of his mouth, and she goes, don't, I go, no, 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 
feeding them, you know. Feed them, you know. It's like, don't wake a sleeping child. Don't take vegetables out of a child's hands if he wants them. So, um, you know, having projects like these with kids or, um, you know, just kind of making it more accessible is just such a great idea, and it's so fun. It, gets, it really gets them started in, in loving gardening. That is that is great. Um, I used to teach gardening a gardening program in four of the local schools, and you'd get kids that would say, "Oh, I'm not going to eat those greens." When you tell them that you're planting turnip greens or or spinach, oh, I'm not going to eat spinach. But come harvest time, you can't get the kids away from it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, very often. They don't even, um, this is kind of a sad thing, but they don't even know what spinach really looks like. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of the kids that would come to our farm, I, I mean, forget something like kohlrabi or Brussels sprouts, you know. <laughs> they didn't, I mean, one of them, I pulled a carrot out of the ground, and it was like I was doing a magic trick. And, <laughs> I, you know, and one of the kids didn't even know what it was because all they'd ever seen were baby carrots. So they didn't know that that's what carrots looked like. <laughs> and I was like, oh, there's more where that came from, you know. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's just if you tap into that sense of wonder. And, I, you know, I think that's something that as adults in gardening, that's one of the reasons that I wrote these books too is that I was trying to always keep my sense of wonder about what I was doing and what I was growing and, not trying to get bogged down and feeling defeated by any kind of little garden failures because there will always be some, you know. You'll always sure. have something that's not going to come up or the aphids are going to do that or you've squashed your last potato bug. And um, But, you know, to just kind of look over what you've done and what's growing and know that it's going to be in your dinner, it's just this childlike wonder that you can create for yourself, and I think that's what keeps a lot of gardeners going. I think it is. I know it is for me. To me, there is nothing more fun in the springtime than watching a little hairpin of a tomato plant come out. You know, mm -hmm. it comes up out of the ground, and then it pops one leaf, and then the other leaf, and then it's standing <laughs> up right there, and and it happens every year. It does that, <laughs> no matter no matter what happens, it it happens. And then um, a couple of days ago, I had planted some fall broccoli, and of course, in the fall we harvested the larger heads and ate them, and and now I think I'm on my second cutting of side shoots since we first harvested the large heads. And to go out into the garden on a warmish spring day and be able to harvest something like that is amazing. Yeah, and I, you know, my favorite thing is we plant a lot of garlic, a lot, like way mm -hmm. more garlic than we need, but I love garlic. And um, my favorite thing are the, the skates because, you know, the garlic comes up and you're like, oh, yay, it's good, it's finally good. And then you get these curly, crazy scapes that mm -hmm. you you can go out and harvest those, which you, is better for the plant, but also, you know, you make it into pesto and things like that. But just, you know, it's like so amazing to have these fun, curly little, you know, indications sure. that everything is going the way, the way it should be. Uh-huh. Well, and it, 
And you find uses. I've always been surprised by how much waste we have in our culture compared to others. Mm-hmm. You mentioned pea shoots before. But, you know, pea tendrils are wonderful, too, even mm-hmm. if it's just the pea tendril and not, not an actual shoot with leaves. Um, they, they just pack a whole lot of wallop in there. And, yeah, like you said, the onion scapes are, and garlic scapes are fun. They're, you know, when they, and when they flower... They're pretty, and the flowers of mm-hmm. onions, for example, are edible. So what's not to love about that? Yeah, they're delicious. And we, you know, in the spring, we actually, as much as we grow, which is a lot, we love to forage as well. And so we end up eating lamb's quarter and ramps and um, some Siberian pea, which is an invasive species. So, you know, we eat what a lot of people think of as weeds. We even we have a lot of stinging nettle on the property, which we make sure we wear gloves a lot. But, um, you know, if you just blanch those, it takes the sting out, and then you can put them in your salad. So, you know, it's all it's all good. After my one encounter with the stinging nettle in England, I'm not sure I want to try that again. But, but yeah, there's a lot that you can harvest out there. Um, Plantain and purslane and henbit Mm -hmm. and um, chickweed. Yeah, I was pulling chickweed for our chickens. I always pull a little bit extra for me. Yeah, and have a little bit for yourself. We one year we played around and went and grew um, some rat tail radishes, which I don't know if you people around I've here seen them. I have grown them. They're so easy to grow, and they look like weeds. And um, I mean, that was one thing we had a member, a CSA member event, and we had them harvest as many rat tail radishes as they wanted, and it's uh, it was a revelation to everybody that all of a sudden here's this strange pod and it tastes exactly like a radish (laughs) you know sure sure (laughs) now you mentioned stinging nettles a little while ago and we're going to take another break pretty soon but before we started chatting here on the radio you were telling me about a stinging nettle um thing to do for allergies and you're your second book is Backyard Pharmacy, Growing Your Own Medicinal Plants in Your Backyard. And so when we get back, you can tell people how that stinging nettle thing does, because I bet, you know, unfortunately I have not seen any down here in Georgia, but I remember, you know, they were around and we were warned off of them up north. Uh, and, of course, in England, they're just all over the place, as I found out. <laughs> and... Um, but you, you get into all sorts of other interesting things in your book, too. So when we come back, we'll talk about that and how you got into growing herbs and all that kind of good stuff. We'll be right back right after this. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My guest today is Elizabeth Millard, who is the author of a couple of books on gardening. We've been talking about indoor kitchen gardening, and now we're going to talk about her book called The Backyard Pharmacy, Growing Medicinal Plants in Your Backyard. When did you decide to get so much into medicinal herbs? Because this is a pretty hefty-sized book. <laughs> yes, it was really fun to um, to kind of bring in my personal experience, but a lot of research that I've been doing. And um, one thing that I say up front is I'm not uh, I'm not a professional herbalist, but I'm you know would love to head that way. And so this is really a labor of love for me, and um, basically kind of collects a lot of the notes that I jot down during the farming season every time I hear about. Um, different medicinal plants. Um, it's just the capacity for plants to help heal us is amazing. And um, so I was excited to be able to have some space and grow some of those options and kind of test it all out for myself. And, um, yeah, and so this is what came out of it. Okay. And now stinging nettles, since we mentioned those, you said that you steep them and... Um, and, and drink the tea for for allergies. Yeah, I um, I dry them first. Um, uh-huh. We have some of them actually drying at all times here on the farm, and um, then I crumble them and make them into a tea, and that's delicious. I I like to combine that with other things like um, lemon balm. Uh, for example, lemon balm is really good. It also has antihistamine properties, um, and it just tastes good. So it just tastes like lemon. And so I'll combine those two together, and it'll be a nice kind of minty, lemony, earthy kind of taste. And that's really good for allergies, but it's also a good kind of general tonic for the spring just to kind of help your immune system to stay on track. Um, and people, a lot of people, I don't think, are very familiar with lemon balm, but it's really, really easy to grow. Oh yeah, it's a it's in the mint family. So it's, yes, I was just gonna um, say it's in the mint family. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't take off as as much as mint does. At least it doesn't for me. Mine stays. It's it's kind of a fairly polite clump. <laughs> it is. We we get a little overly ambitious in our herb spiral this past season, and. Um, so ours was dedicated to a nice big swath of lemon balm, and it did. It did. It was polite. It was much more polite than the any of the other mints that we were growing. I planted 
mint one year, and I knew that from previous experience from hacking it in my mother's garden that it could take off on you. But it never occurred to me that it could run like it did here in Georgia. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. It was That sucker was sending out runners eight feet away. I oh, wow. say it, it was just amazing. And I finally killed it. It took me ages and ages and ages. Um, but it rooted right through. I set it in a pot and put the pot partly in the ground, and that darn thing just rooted out from it. <laughs> I don't think it's like a or something. Yeah, if I ever try it again, I think I'm going to put it on a, con- a slab of concrete <laughs> so it doesn't have a chance. <laughs> it'll, still, it'll still take over, I bet. Oh, you may be right, especially since this is such a wet climate. And I know mm-hmm. up where you are, you can have some really wet weather, too. Yeah, How much snow did you get can. this year? It wasn't too bad this year. I think maybe only about 30, 40 inches. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad, believe me. The year, yeah, last oh, year we didn't yeah. get that much, I'm, but then the year before with, it was like 100 inches. with Midwestern winters, and, and yeah, but... <laughs> You know, everything stops here when we have an inch, and, and so it just cracks me up. Okay, so if people want to get into growing their own medicinals, what's mm-hmm. a good place for them to start? Um, well, one good place to start is by recognizing that you probably already are. Um, you know, there's a lot of medicinal plants that are um, things that you already know, basil, rosemary, oregano, thyme. You know, a lot of those herbs have medicinal properties to them. Um, so you can have them in teas. I mean, raspberry leaves, blueberry leaves, um, the antioxidants and the fruits are good. Um, so, you know, it's, it's great just to play around with what you've already got going. And then, you know, in your next kind of step, if that's what you want to do, then you can think about the particular things that you'd like to treat. Um, for example, I um, was having some sleep issues, and it, you know, like so many people, and um, I'd heard that valerian was really good to grow and to, to use, and so I thought, oh, I'll give it a shot. It's super easy to grow, and what happens is you harvest it in the fall, um, and you use the roots, and you let them dry, grind them to a powder, put it in a tea, drink it before you go to bed, and that's it. <laughs> you know, it's super easy. So, um, you know, somebody who has a lot of, you know, digestive issues, you know, might want to grow more mint, like like you were talking about. Um, so just kind of look at, you know, maybe what it is you want to solve and then the, the options for that. Usually a lot of medicinal plants um, have multiple things that they can do, like chamomile, for example, calms you, but it's also, um, you know, a good good for insomnia. It's good for general immunity. If you get a lot of colds, you can, you know, use it for gingivitis. And so your um, your voice is breaking up a little bit. What's the herb that you just mentioned? Oh, chamomile. Chamomile. Okay. Yeah. So chamomile has, you know, tons of problems. A lot of people think of chamomile as just um, calm as a calmative. And it can certainly be that, but you can make it into a mouthwash to deal with gum issues, or you can use it for, um, you know, just 
a general kind of chill out <laughs> kind of thing. So um, one plant usually can do a lot of different things for you. Yeah, I, I remember when chamomile tea was one of the things that people would always serve in some of the old um, children's books mm-hmm. that I yeah. that I would read um, yeah. or that That's were good. read to me early on. Because chamomile yeah. is very safe for children, so um, and several herbs are, you know, just as long as you kind of research them and make sure that that's, you know, what you want to do with your kids. Yeah, I imagine that there's that the safety issue, since they're very much smaller than adults are, um, that the same quantity might not be as good for them or the same frequency. Do you have a, a book that you would recommend for children, for the people to research herbs for their children? Um, I don't offhand, but I know that um, Rosemary Gladstar is kind of the shining star of um, the herb world, and I, I feel like she probably has a book out, or at least, you know, I know that she mentions kind of children's dosages in her books. Okay, I will. I will see. I will try to look that up and put it on our Facebook page for our listeners. So you've met now. Have you ever done? Elderberry? I guess elderberry isn't really an herb. It's a, it's a berry. Yeah, we have done elderberry, and we actually just um, we just planted quite a bit of it this past spring. So um, we're really looking forward to getting a lot of elderberry. <laughs> I love elderberry. It's such a great um, kind of general tonic. You can make it into, well, you can make it elderberry wine, but you can also make like a just kind of a, elderberry infusion and um, mash up the mash up the fruits or you know do the the leaves and um, it's just all around a great plant in terms of keeping you like nice and healthy and and away from colds I hadn't I hadn't heard of using elderberry leaves that's interesting I've heard about the berries of course um, and I always try to fight the birds for some over here because they you know they, the elderberries ripen early when there's not too much else and um, which is which is okay because they it, it, they come on at about the same time as our early blueberries and it keeps it gives us a half a chance of getting some berries for us. That's that's something I didn't know about the leaves, though. Mine mine are already leafing out. Oh, there you go. Well, it's I mean it's much easier to use um, elderberry elderberries themselves because you want to make sure that you have to you have to cook the elderberry leaf um, a little bit just because um, you know they're. There's a slightly kind of toxic alkaloid in them, so I wouldn't just grab a bunch of elderberry leaves and start chewing on them. But it, <laughs> I mean, if you want to, that's you. But um, <laughs> if you just give it a quick blanch, then um, you know, then it should be fine. But it's, the the elderberries themselves are so flexible and easy to use. You can make them into syrup and things like that. That. It just makes a lot more sense to use the elderberries themselves. And the elderberry shrubs are pretty anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful. They're, they're a good landscape plant. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you would say that everybody's got to grow? Well, I am, 
I mentioned garlic. I'm such a fan of mm-hmm. garlic. Um, garlic to me is just the queen of all medicinal plants just because it does so much. It's antibacterial. It's antiviral. You know, it's, um, you know, when I get a cold, if I ever get a cold, which I haven't had in a long time, but I will chop up raw garlic and um, I'm sorry to my partner, but I chop up raw garlic and I just eat them like pills. And um, <laughs> I know until I kind of sweat the garlic out. And and basically it, it cures me. It cures me right almost right away. So, um, you know, but even just having cooked garlic, it's that's the one thing I think. And plus it's so easy to grow. You just, you know, take one clove stick it in the ground, you know, a couple inches down and then um, pointy side up and cover it, mulch it, and then wait. So yep. that's more of the benign neglect that I love. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I found that they, it, garlic really doesn't like is weeds. They, it just doesn't do too well. Mm-hmm. well yeah, we're the mulching helps, about, uh, We're almost out of time for today, but tell okay. people where they can get your books. Sure. Um, they are, you can get them on Amazon or or. They are published by Cool Springs Press. So if you just look that up, you can get them directly from the, the Cool Springs Press site, also um, known as Quarto Books, as in Q-U-A-R-T-O. And while they're there, pretend, better put your credit card away because Cool Springs has a lot of really great gardening books. <laughs> they really do. They also do straw bale gardening books, so that's <laughs> very exciting. Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of my former guests on this show was had had a straw bale book from from Cool Springs. Oh no. Okay. Now, do you blog any place, or do you go out and speak, or are you just you stay home on the farm and write, or <laughs> I stay home on the farm and write, and um, so I don't really have a blog. I know I should get to that, but maybe I'll maybe I'll just have another book pretty soon. <laughs> oh, great! That sounds wonderful. Have you thought of a topic yet? I haven't, although, you know, I'm fascinated by the ducks that we have on the farm, so who knows, maybe I'll come up with some kind of plants for poultry. We'll see. Or another backyard poultry raising. We haven't had one in years and years and years. Well, thank you, Elizabeth, for being with us today, Um, and I will get the information on your books up on our webpage. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for today, but we'll be back with more of America's Homegrown next week. I hope you'll join us. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.